0: The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit MDCAVL.org. Good morning, church. How are you? Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the elders here at Missio Day Church. I have the privilege of preaching this morning as. Our fearless leader Brian is currently preaching at Bent Creek Baptist this morning. If you guys have been here for a little while, you know that we have been in conversations with Bent Creek about a potential church merger, and so this is an opportunity for uh, for that church congregation just to get to know Brian, uh, get to a little bit of know a little bit about who he is, hear him preach, um, because they are they're just unfamiliar, and so we have a, we have a lot of ground to make up there. Um, if you're new with us, we just last week started a new series in the book of Philippians, and so I am really glad that you are here. This series, Joy Reclaimed, um, I don't know if you guys have, uh, have ever read this book of Philippians, but um, joy being a key theme in this book, uh, I feel like I just need to like sit in this for a while. Um, I don't know where you guys are coming from, but we live in a time, it feels like, where our joy is just like, it, it's zapped, like it is taken from us on a daily basis, and um, I, am, I am thoroughly excited to be in this book, to walk through it together as a congregation, to look for opportunities for our joy to be restored to us by looking at Jesus Christ, at who He is, what He's done on our behalf. And so um, I'm encouraged that you guys are here this morning. Uh, I wanted to run through three things. Brian mentioned these last week, and I'm just going to reiterate them. Um, I would like to encourage you guys, as you have done and have taken up most of the seats in this place, to just show up here on Sunday mornings. Um, I, I love that we have gathered together to hear God's Word preached and proclaimed. And I think it's important that we, we prioritize this, that we prioritize coming to church on a Sunday morning, to sit with each other and to do this as a community. Um, and so every opportunity that you guys have, every opportunity to be here on a weekend, uh, I just encourage you to show up. Second thing um, is that Brian mentioned that he we would love for you to be reading through this book of Philippians on a daily, even weekly basis. Uh, has anybody been doing this? Has anybody been reading through the book of Philippians? Excellent. I'm so I'm so glad to see that. Actually, let me just encourage you. Just pick this book up. Um, it's only four chapters. You can get through it in like a few minutes if you uh, if you're a speed reader. But on a daily opportunity, if you have the margin to do that, I would encourage you to be reading through this so that we as a A congregation um, can be just, it's not cheating. Study ahead. Figure out what this book has for us so that when we come here on Sunday mornings, we are all the more prepared. And then number three is get into some community. Last week, if you were here, we uh, we had some introductions to group leaders, and so if you have not yet joined a group, you can go on to the info hub, info.mdcashville.org, and there are groups on there that you may uh, may find work with your schedule to jump in, um, to participate in life with other people. As we are going through, not just this sermon series, but as you walk through your daily life, it's important for us to do that in community. I also want to mention, on there are the men and women's Bible studies. So if you're looking for opportunity to jump into a Bible study, you will also find those on the group's page. Let's get to Philippians. Um, If you missed last week, Brian gave a recap of kind of where we are heading into this book. So, we have Paul um, who is uh, writing this letter from prison in Rome. Um, While while Paul's in prison, the Philippians which is a church that Paul's, it was first, Paul's first church that he planted, heard that Paul had been imprisoned and they sent an, uh, an emissary, if you will, with a letter to, to, to check in on Paul. Hey, Paul, how are you? Uh, how's prison going? Um, but they 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 have this place in their heart as Paul um, initially preached the gospel to them and they are concerned about how Paul is doing in prison. And so it's been four years since, um, since Paul and the Philippian church have had any kind of communication with each other. Uh, I don't know if any of you or many of you were here when we planted this church, but Pastor Kurt, who planted this church a few years into planting this, we sent him to plant a church in Cincinnati. And I had this vision in my mind of like, I don't know what Kurt would do to land himself in prison right now, but if if he had done that, um, what it would look like for our church to be concerned about how how, uh, Kurt is doing in Cincinnati, right? So um, I know that this church has a special place in his heart as the church that he planted. And so I kind of am reading this through the lens of, of Pastor Kirk. Last week, uh, when Brian opened up this, this book, he showed us that um, Paul, he immediately recalls the joy that he has in this Philippian church. Um, he thanks God for them. He, re- he thanks God that he's been reminded of the faithfulness that's been shown to that congregation. and then he prays for them. and he prays that their love would abound and that they would have discernment and that they would be blameless. And that is where we pick up this morning. So uh, we don't usually do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let's stand together as we read the Word. I'm going to start us in, uh, in verse 12. When we get to verse 18, on the screen, I have a different translation on there. I'll explain a little bit about why, but I'm going to be reading from the ESV. "'I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that, are, that my imprisonment is for Christ.' Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Father God in heaven, I am grateful for an opportunity to look to your word this morning for encouragement. Um, to look, particularly in this series and in this season of life, for every reason to rejoice. God, I'm grateful for your faithfulness to our church um, I pray that you would be working even now um, to restore our joy, um, to remind us what you have done on, on our behalf, Jesus Christ. And that, um, that should affect, that should change our hearts, even our perspective. We have so much to celebrate that, that Jesus Christ is alive. Um, but Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities to remember that, to see that, um, and to uh, just to remember the power that we have because of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for my brother Brian this morning as he preaches the word to the brothers and sisters at Bent Creek Baptist. I pray, Father, that they would have ears to hear the good news of the gospel as we have the, uh, the same need this morning. I just pray that you would bless him, bless that congregation. I pray that you'd bless these people. Send your spirit to move in our hearts, to soften our hearts of, uh, of stone and create hearts of flesh. that are uh, able even to receive you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we can pray. Amen. If you all are note takers, I hope that you are. Um, my first point is this, trials with a purpose. <clears throat> trials with a purpose. When we see here that, uh, that Paul opens this, um, this letter, he says, I want you to know, brothers, he is starting this letter out to put their minds at ease, right? So um, somebody has been sent to Paul to say, hey, what's going on? How are you? It's been so long since we've, um, we've heard from you, but we've not heard great things because it sounds like you are in prison. Um, Paul's first response is like, hey, guys, I'm fine. Um, things are actually going better than I could have hoped for. And let me tell you why. Um, and he dives right into this. He says um, that this has really served to advance the gospel so that the entire imperial guard has heard about it. Hey, guys, um, the gospel is being spread like wildfire here. In fact, I am able to spread the gospel like wildfire. This imperial guard, it's interesting um, in the Imperial Guard, there are said to be about 9,000 soldiers. These are like hand-picked soldiers. Um, they received a pension. They received double pay. It was, a, uh, it was a, higher, a higher calling, if you will, for a soldier. They were treated very well. But one of the things that these Imperial Guards were responsible for was being chained to prisoners in Rome. So uh, I'm not sure how they landed that job. It doesn't seem like a great job necessarily. But, um, but this is nonetheless what, what they were tasked with. Um, it might be that this was house, um, uh, house arrest that Paul was under. Um, it's not necessarily if, like we think of like Gen Pop in our modern day sense that, uh, that Paul was just tossed into prison with a whole bunch of other people. Um, they did have prisons like that. They also had stockades. But I think what's interesting to note here is that Paul was physically chained to somebody 24 hours a day for his entire stay in prison. Can you imagine being chained to Paul 24 hours a day, when Paul had this gospel axe to grind, right? I mean, chatty Cathy Paul, probably four or five different people every day cuffed at the wrist, uh, and Paul's like, hey, this, this isn't all that bad. I mean, that's kind of the, what he's giving off here as he opens this up. I think it's crazy, but um, Paul's whole mission from day one was to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, And now here he is, he is in prison. He literally has a captive audience chained to his wrist every day for his entire stay. And I think he preached the gospel to every single one of them, probably the same exact gospel every single day. It was, hey, Jesus Christ is alive. Um, He is the very son of God and he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. That according to the scriptures, he was uh, crucified and that according to the scriptures, he was raised from the dead. And amazingly, he forgives our sins. And this is the good news. And I think every person that came into contact with Paul heard this, and we can see evidence in chapter 4, which we'll get to <clears throat> in a number of weeks, but a lot of them believed. A lot of people sitting there, chained to Paul in probably the worst circumstances of their life, um, actually believed the gospel that he was talking about. I don't want to assume that everybody in this room knows the gospel. Um, Paul uses the word gospel in this book, like uh, I think it's nine times. Um, and I think we oftentimes, we, we know and we assume or we can say that the gospel is the good news. But I want to break this down. There's a woman named Jen Wilkin. She is a uh, women's director at a church in Texas. Um, but she, I think, put this in a way that just makes a whole lot of sense to me. So if you're taking notes, she says that the gospel is Jesus's life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Mean that I am being, I am freed from sin's penalty, I am being freed from sin's power, and that one day I will be free from sin's presence. Let me say that one more time. The gospel of the good news is that Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension mean that I am, be, or I am currently freed from sin's penalty, that I am being freed from sin's power, and that one day in glorious heaven that we will be free from sin's presence. Church, I want you to believe this. I want want us to believe wholeheartedly in the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. Um, It's not just the way into the kingdom. I think uh, there's maybe an oversimplification of what that good news is. It is absolutely that. But it also reaches deep into every facet of our life. Every decision that we make, every encounter that we experience um, has been influenced or can be influenced by the good news of this gospel and what Jesus has done on our behalf. Um, you probably know this because we've said it a number of times, but Missio Dei means the mission of God, right? It's Latin for the mission of God. We have a vision as a church to see a church planted, a gospel preaching, gospel centric church planted in each of the counties of the a 828, so Western North Carolina, that we have this desire to see these churches planted. But that's not where it ends. It doesn't end with just a church being there and there being a presence for people to. Gravitate towards if they so desire. Every person needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not just that there would be one church that is there preaching the gospel, but that people would experience it, that people would be hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but this is on us, right? Um, It's not just that somebody from this pulpit is preaching good news, it is that every one of us is on mission with Paul to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so um, I think it's important for us to see that, that it's, it's not just one person doing it from Sunday mornings, but that we all are playing a role in this. It's interesting to me to kind of stop and think about how Paul starts this letter. I, I Putting myself in his shoes, I don't think that I would have started this letter the way he does. Um, he doesn't paint the picture of like dark jail cells or the fact that he's chained up to um, some of these people. He doesn't regret doing the things that have landed him in this position in the first place. I think a lot of us might just lament. Um, I'm not saying that the Philippian church wouldn't want to hear about how bad an awful prison is, but that's not where, where Paul goes. I mean, he kind of notably glosses over like the miscarriage of justice that has landed him here, um, the bodily injury. Like if you remember in Acts, all the things that Paul has gone through in his life, but that's not where he starts. Um, and I think... I think that it's intentional. Um, I think he gets right to the heart of the matter, which is the gospel, and I think it's because he prioritizes that and just doesn't see the importance of his physical situation the way I think most of us would assume he would. Uh, if you've ever read much of the New Testament, we kind of know Paul's a funny guy. Um, I think he's a tough guy to offend. I think we know that he is, um, he's either really thick or he really is just genuinely um, thrilled That people are hearing the gospel. And I think uh, if the jailers knew this, that the joke is on them, that they're literally chaining him to a captive audience for him to do what he has set out to do for his entire life anyway, um, they might have, you know, approached that differently. But there we have it. Uh, This is not one of my notes, but I want to talk about suffering because suffering is one of those things that I think, um, even as Christians, for as long as you have been a Christian, we can sometimes misunderstand. Um, We probably already know this, but not everyone suffers the same. And not everybody suffers well. Um, Just think about your own experience in suffering in your life. Um, Not everybody goes through those those encounters the same way. To suffer well, I think, requires perspective that goes outside of our present circumstances to inform how we suffer. I think we can be ineffective, if you will, ineffective in in advancing the gospel, ineffective in making much of Jesus Christ, ineffective at even preaching the gospel to ourselves um, when we suffer, but we can also suffer and be effective in that. In fact, I think that's what we are seeing here with Paul. And so, it does beg the question, like, what did Paul do that made his suffering effective in advancing the gospel? Two things. Uh, One is that he didn't dwell on himself. I just mentioned it, but The the focus and the emphasis of this letter, the way he writes it, is not on himself. He mentions that he's been imprisoned like nine or ten times in this, but that's really about the extent of him focusing on his present circumstance. And number two, he didn't get off mission. I mean, prior to Paul landing himself in jail, he was on mission to preach the gospel, to make people aware of the good news of Jesus Christ, and he lands himself in prison, and that doesn't stop, and he doesn't he doesn't shift focus at all. I think it might have been easy, perhaps, for some of us to say, like, well, um, God forgot about me, or, or maybe this is a sign that what I'm doing or how I'm doing it is not what I'm supposed to be doing, but that's not where Paul goes. Um, <clears throat> in the midst of suffering, I think Paul saw opportunities to speak gospel truth to the people that were around him, and I honestly think, preach it to himself, that, that Jesus Christ is bigger than his current circumstances. And that leads us into this pattern, right? So if you, if you know all throughout Scripture, we see these patterns of people suffering and the good news of who Jesus Christ is advancing. If you were here during our Acts um, sermon series, almost every step of the way with Acts, there was some kind of persecution coming against the church and um, just... I, we only know that it was Jesus himself who, who made this gospel spread even further than it would have without that persecution. <clears throat> But we see this pattern all throughout Scripture that God uses suffering to, I think, to tell us something about Himself. Um, I think when we're hungry, we seek food. When we're thirsty, we seek out water. When we are hurt or hurting, we seek healing. Um, I think there's something to be said about our suffering and that we have an opportunity to kind of rethink or retrain our minds that when we are suffering, we ought to be seeking Christ. We ought to be. When we are suffering, we have opportunity to look for how Christ is working in our suffering. Um, this is something that we're going to have to work on. Do you anybody an office fan? Yeah. You know, there's there's this uh, there's this episode where Jim is maybe cruelly, but he's 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 trying to teach or train uh, Dwight like in this Pavlovian response. He hits a, a sound on his computer offers Dwight a mint and then over the series over the course of the day makes the sound and Dwight just holds his hand out expecting this mint and then eventually he just holds his hand out expecting this mint right like i think that we have the ability to train ourselves to that type of response that when we encounter suffering that we hold our arm our hand out and say god what are you doing here what what am i to be learning how am i to be seeing god in this because it is his mo it's it's kind of how he operates I think Paul recognized that his trials had this greater purpose behind them. If we move on to uh, to verse 14 here, my second point is um, the gospel over a grudge. Let's read this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I love that Paul calls out that most of the brothers, most of the believers, most of the people who were on mission with Paul, the majority of them were actually inspired by Paul's faith. That they were actually inspired by what Paul was going through and were emboldened to get in the game themselves. That they they were also on mission with Paul to proclaim this gospel good news. But the very fact that Paul was in prison was enough to light a fire under them in order to step out in faith and to proclaim it. Uh, I can't think of necessarily like a, a specific example, but I know like in movies or or TV shows, there's sometimes there's like this cult following of some kind or a group where the group leader does something, lands himself in prison or, or whatever. And the whole rest of the people follow suit and say, you know what, based on what happened to this, our leader, uh, they are emboldened. They are emboldened to step out and to take action, maybe because their leader is gone. And I think I think that's the, I think it's a great response. I think it's the right response for us to, um, to see what is happening, either to other believers, but also to see the gospel going out and for us to be emboldened in our faith and to be encouraged by what is happening. Um, <clears throat> but then there's another group, right? Some indeed preach from envy and rivalry. This is interesting because uh, apparently it has come out through people's preaching the gospel, people talking to non-believers, if you will, about who Jesus Christ is, their envy and their rivalry is just coming up in those conversations to the point where the Philippian church has even heard about it. Um, The way he brings this up, the Philippians actually have asked Paul, like, hey, is it true that these people are preaching from envy and rivalry? Now, listen, this is a a pretty specific group of people. Um, it's, It's not false prophets. It's not people who are don't believe in Christ. It's not people who are preaching a different gospel than what uh, what Paul is proclaiming, and it's it's not Judaizers, right? It's not people um, that are preaching that there's more to the gospel than um, than what Paul has has announced. And I think we know that because Paul puts people on blast all the time. In other letters, if you read any of the other letters that Paul writes, he pretty much puts all of them on blast if there is any other kind of gospel being preached. But what he does do is he calls out their hearts um, for having this personal beef with Paul. Envy is a heart issue. Envy is um, discontentment or wanting something that somebody else has, right? And envy can remain hidden for a long time. I think we can harbor envy in our heart and it never see the light of day. Um, The other night, actually, my brother's in town, and the other last night we were talking about Lord of the Rings. You know that scene when, um, when Bilbo wants to see the ring that Frodo, he gave to Frodo for the last time? And he has this weird thing deep down in his heart that when he sees this ring, he's like overcome with emotions that are on the inside expressing themselves in this maniacal grabbing, needing, and wanting this ring, right? Like there was an envy in his heart that, that was revealed in that time. Rivalry is an interesting one. Um, it's most likely... That, that people saw the success that Paul was having in, in advancing the gospel, the crowds that were drawing around him, um, and the results of Paul's ministry, and were just straight jealous of it, wanting, wanting that for themselves, that there was a rivalry in the way that they were preaching the gospel. Um, but either way, um, these were Christians... That had no personal love for Paul, and honestly were probably fine seeing Paul. In fact, maybe even happy that he was sitting in prison. That might have meant better things for their ministry. Um, I don't know if we can identify with this, but I, I think that we can. I think sometimes um, maybe we can see God at work in somebody else's life, or in somebody else's ministry, and just struggle to be joyful for that. Either like, why don't I have that? Why Why isn't God working through me the same way that He's working through and in somebody else? We live in a A city filled with churches, right? In fact, Haywood Road, I mean, I think there's some statistic about more churches on this road than like any other one in America. Um, There can be like a territorial, tribalistic um, way of thinking about, hey, we're a church here, not, you know, know, there's either no room for another church or no room for anybody else. Uh, We can have this like castle over kingdom mindset, right? That what we're doing is better than what anybody else is doing across town. Um, But you know, if you if you look at your Old Testament, like God uses Balaam's donkey to speak truth, and it's like if He can use that, He's going to use and He can use anyone else. Um, but it's interesting that He doesn't He doesn't really go much further with that, right? He doesn't expound a lot on it, and He doesn't even really make a big deal of it. Um, I I know. I think if we if we follow the gospel far enough down, we will see that there is a divergence. Um, in either either hating or being envious of somebody else and belief in the gospel, right? There's a, a point where those two things just have to split because of a heart issue. Um, but we also see that this is not where, where that has come to yet. First John 1.4 says that if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Um, but again, I don't think that this has risen to that occasion um, in Paul's situation, where, what he's talking about. I think that we can kind of see the genuineness of Paul's faith and the genuineness of his joy that I just don't think he cared that people had an issue with him. I don't think that he cared that people looked at him and were, and were jealous of the ministry they had because I don't think that that was, um, it wasn't worthy of his attention, if that makes sense. Um, I think his joy for the gospel being proclaimed just overshadowed um, any kind of personal protection or personal um, need to defend himself. To these people, and I, I just want to say, like this, maybe just a word of wisdom for myself and for the other um, elders and pastors here at Missio. But I hope that you never hear words of envy and rivalry coming from um, this pulpit. This is this is not a pulpit that is, is meant for or designed for either tearing down um, or or condemning others who are preaching the gospel. It's just I hope that you never hear that here. Uh, on the other hand, I want to also encourage you that um, preachers, like I mentioned earlier, it's not just the person who's standing here behind this pulpit. That you, as you are sharing your faith with others, as you are sharing the good news of who Jesus Christ is, um, are also in that position. That that you and, and and we us collectively have a have a responsibility to guard our heart from envy and from rivalry in how we view other people who are sharing the good news of the gospel just because we may either disagree with them personally or whatever the case may be. Um, I just hope that we would be a church that champions the gospel being made much of, the gospel advancement, um, really regardless who, of who is doing it, that Jesus is the most important thing. Um, this, this brings up a few questions in my mind when I read a passage like this. I'm like, I don't really know what to do with this, um, but I kind of have to ask myself this question. Can, can you be anti-pastor a and not anti-Christ? I think you can. Um, Can you be pro-gospel? Can I be for the gospel and not necessarily be pro this pastor or this other person? I think we see evidence that you can. Um, Are there people who preach Christ and Him crucified and yet still in their hearts, they are corrupted by um, evil desires, envy, ambition, pride, or other things? I think you can. I think we see that evidence here, and I think even in our, our lives. We can also see um, that people come to saving faith through these people proclaiming the gospel in spite of where their heart may be. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's possible. So, I think we are, left, we are left to make an assumption here. And I think that's that we have to see that God greatly, greatly cares that people hear the good news about Jesus Christ, and also at the same time see that He is willing to show a ton of grace to sinners who, still, who believe but are still struggling in their heart with envy or sin. I just think we see it in Scripture, and I think we see it in, um, if we look hard enough, we just we see it in our life, that God carries those two things in some sort of balance, that it is so important for our people to hear the good news of the gospel, and yet he uses people like me who struggle in my own heart with my, my genuineness or my motives in my faith. And yet, Paul seems to think that if the gospel is advancing, okay, we can, we can still move on. That brings us to point number three here. I can still rejoice. I mentioned earlier, um, this is going to come from the New Living Translation, so let me read this verse 18 says, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. And so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Amen. Paul says at the end of the day, Jesus is all that matters. Um, So what? Bad motives? The gospel is the gospel. And if people are hearing about Jesus, that's what matters. You like me, don't like me, I don't care. If Jesus' name is being made much of, that's fine. Me being in prison, it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we know because we, we read elsewhere in Scripture and we can see, but like Paul is so sold out for this mission. Paul is so sold out for this idea that every person needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that honestly, by by comparison, nothing else matters. We see it in even the way he writes his book, like the bodily harm, the injustice, these haters who just don't like him personally, or maybe they're just jealous of him, personal attacks uh, on him uh, physically, but also just on his character. And he had so many opportunities to whine about it, to complain about it, to lament about his circumstances. And yet I really think that it's his genuine love for the gospel and for the people who are hearing it that allow him to rejoice and say, none of that other stuff matters. Like, it's all secondary issues. Um, this is where it, it starts to hit home for me, though. Because, church, we are on the same mission that Paul is on. As Christians, we're called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost, broken, and dying world. Like, we share that same mission with him. <clears throat> but then the question is, like, yes, we share God, Paul's objective, but do we share in his conviction? Um, we have the same mission as Paul, but do we have the same conviction that that mission is as important as it was to Paul? Truthfully, honestly, if, we, if we're really answering that question, I think a lot of us would say, nah, not really. I mean, ideally, yes. Realistically, no. Um, can we honestly say that, like, nothing else matters to me except that... Uh, that Christ is preached and I can actually rejoice in that? Or, or is our ultimate joy cut short by the fact that um, our present circumstances don't feel that way? That we look at our present circumstances as our, as our basis or as our, our barometer for where we find this joy. Um, is our ability to rejoice in the gospel tied to how we feel? or what we're going through, or the things that are happening around us. You know, Paul wrote this book to implore the Philippians to look, um, to look beyond our suffering. He writes this book to say to look beyond what we are doing, what is happening to us right now, and to look at what God is doing. To look beyond just where we are in our present circumstances and look at where God is actually leading us. <clears throat> To find joy in Jesus' name being made great and to rejoice in the mission that lost souls are being saved like I think those are those are the key the key parts of this and so I also want to say though that like I'm not saying that our present circumstances don't matter they they do I you may be you may be in some of the worst circumstances awful circumstances that you've been in a long time and I don't mean to to minimize or to To minimize those things. Um, But I want to tell you that God sees you there. God sees you in your circumstances. He sees you in what struggles you're going through right now. Um, And that He created a way for us to get through that. That He sent His Son, Jesus, to rescue us, to redeem us, and to show us that there is a larger picture at play. So like I say, I'm not saying that our circumstances don't matter, but I do think it's important for us to recognize that there is a larger picture that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That that's the end that we are working towards, and that is the mission that we are actually on. Um, and truthfully, like if we take a put you know a page out of Paul's book here, like once we see, once we see that, um, that there's a bigger picture at play, I think our suffering and our our current circumstances will find their right place, and that joy will actually supersede what we're seeing and feeling around us. Now, um, I think it's good for us to look at our suffering in our current circumstances and, and ask ourselves, like, is there a way that I can leverage this? Even in, even in good times, like, is there a way that I can leverage this to advance the gospel, to preach the good news of what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf? Not just to me, but even the people around me. Um, and, and I'm not saying there has to be a pressure to always share that, but there, are there opportunities that I can take even to display the gospel, to display what it means to believe that Jesus Christ is better? Um, because people will see that, people will see our genuineness, and they will believe. Um, as we kind of come to a come to a close here, I do have some questions that uh, that will be up here on the board, but um, I think we we oftentimes are are caught off guard by our present circumstances. We're caught off guard by suffering or um, just the immediacy of life and what, what we're dealing with right now. And I just want to encourage you to retrain your mind, to look for opportunities, as I think Paul did, to say, hey, this may be where I'm at. This may be the circumstance that I am in. But if I am still on mission and if I still have this bigger picture in play, how do I take that opportunity to look to God and say, hey, how can I still make much of the name of Christ? How can I still proclaim the good news about Jesus to those around me and even preach that to ourselves? Um, We have to start here, and this is one of of the questions, but do I even believe this gospel? Do I believe in the good news, or is it good news to me, that Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension mean that I am actually free from sin's penalty and that I am currently being freed from its power, that one day in heaven I will be free from sin's presence. Do I even believe that? If you, if you don't believe that, I want to give you the opportunity to, to work through that. I, I'm available. Um, I know Larry is here, others that would love to have that opportunity to talk with you and just to find out if there is, um, if this needs to be explained in such a way that you would believe in this gospel. Next, do I view gospel advancement so highly that all other things in my life pale by comparison? This is a tough ask. I mean, we live in a broken world. We, we do. We all feel it, I think. Um, but do we actually view and believe gospel advancement so highly because of the call that God's put on our life that truthfully um, all the other things in our life pale by comparison to that? Third, third, How have I seen God utilize suffering in my life to make His name great? If you take a recount of uh, experiences in your life where, God, you felt like you were just being drugged through the mud, um, have have you taken an account or have you been able to recognize that when you are going through suffering that Christ has given opportunities for us to continue on that mission to make His name great? Um, I don't want us to be alarmed when we encounter these things. Like, I don't want us to be alarmed um, as a Christian when our life is going terrible. Like, when our circumstances, our situation is not favorable, when um, when we are being persecuted. I don't think that we are at a place right now where we're going to be persecuted the way Paul is persecuted, but we are still going to suffer um, as believers. Um, I don't want us to be alarmed. I honestly, I feel like we have an opportunity to retrain our brain to think of how think of suffering in a different way and to see it in a greater light for um, gospel advancement opportunity. And this is uh, this is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have this one up there, but let me encourage you to think about the people that God has handcuffed to you in your life, right? Um, you, if you're a parent, you have kids handcuffed to you. Unfortunately, probably for you, but you have these kids. Uh, a captive audience around you all day long. Maybe if you're, you know, working in an office or co-workers, there are people that God has consistently placed in your life that are always around you that are active audience for your opportunity to take or for you to take that opportunity to proclaim the good news, the gospel to them. In your own household, your spouse, um, parents, or whatever the case may be, these are people that are like a prime audience for you to be proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified to. And so I just want to encourage you to to be thinking through that, that who has God placed in my immediate circle, uh, regardless of my circumstances, and it might even be yourself that that still need to hear gospel truth in the midst of your circumstances. Uh, As we move into this time of communion, um, let me just remind you that this is an opportunity for us to remind our hearts that we believe this, that we actually believe the good news of the gospel, and that this is a physical way for us to take part in uh, the body and the blood of Christ shed on our behalf for what He did for us. Um, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe this gospel that, that Paul is talking about, that I've been talking about, this table um, it it isn't for you. There's no judgment there if you don't participate in that. But I would love that opportunity to talk with you um, if, if I can explain it a little bit further for you. Um, I'm going to pray now. Um, and then I'll take, we'll take a couple of minutes for us just to kind of silently contemplate and to meditate. Um, maybe do a recount of, of what God has placed in your life in terms of people that need to hear this gospel proclaimed um, and a different perspective on, on our sufferings and the things that we're going through. Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful for just the morning that you've given to us to sit in your word. I'm grateful for Paul, just the... Um, the heart that he had for people, the heart that he had for the church at Philippi, just to reach out and to encourage them with this letter, to assure them that, hey, the things that I'm going through aren't as bad as they could be. They're not as bad as even as they seem. Um, And also just to see his perspective, that if the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is going out, that the things that we're going through just simply do pale, pale in comparison. I pray, Father, that you would And allow us to just embrace that. Allow us to believe it and allow us to to actually live that way. Father, I pray for not just Missio Day Church this morning, I also pray for Bent Creek. I pray that you would just be aligning our hearts and our minds with the truths of Scripture. Um, I pray that you would just continue to put us on this path wherever you may lead. And I pray that you would give us hearts that are open to receive your instruction. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen.